Well, another half glorious morning here in Auckland today. Peter, welcome to Umbrella HQ. Um, Peter, you want to give us a little bit of background? Background yeah, on yourself? sure. So um, I'm general manager of uh, Aura Information Security, and we fall under the Cordia Group. So um, we're a specialist cybersecurity company or information security company. Um, so we do a variety of things with our customers. So um, we test their websites, and effectively we behave the same way a hacker would. So. Yep. Um, we go into their websites or their environment, we look around the way a hacker would, we find the sorts of issues a hacker would find and tell them how to fix it. Uh, and then we also help customers prep, so um, things like good policy and process in place right. to make sure um, there's less chance of them getting attacked in the, in the first place, helping uh, make their staff aware of what's going on in their business. Yeah, and, um, for the, and for those of you who are listening, um, in terms of where Aura sit in the Cordia, the Cordia group, because Cordia have a, a, a networking business as well, and Aura from a security perspective, and they're, they're very, I imagine that those businesses are very symbiotic in how they network yeah. security, security network. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, uh, Aura was a, um, a small independent company um, and Cordia purchased us uh, about three and a half years ago yeah. um, because we could see how well um, those two organisations would work together. Yeah. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of um, transfer between the, the two parts of the company. Yeah, we're, we're at Umbrella we're pretty fascinated mm -hmm. by the, the whole customer approach to, to security. Uh, and bearing in mind that New Zealand's built on you know 400 odd thousand small businesses, yep. which if you look at an enterprise IT budget, um, Security isn't always top of small businesses list. Yep. Also, the topic is very broad. I mean, um, bearing in mind, if we take a step back from the industry that we work in, cloud, from an outside looking in, it's, oh, we'll just put it in the cloud. It's a highly complex automation, DevOps systems process, people mm. with some exceptionally complex technologies. Security has that kind of same black art around it. It's, oh, well, just make it secure. Okay, well, where do we, yeah. where, where, where do we start? How do you go about at Aura making your clients aware of um, how deep you need to take the security lens and from your business and yeah. how important it is? Well, I think the most important thing for security is to <clears throat> think about security as a, as a risk as you, you'd think about any other risk within your business. So what kind of business do you operate? Um, what is your risk profile and, and where do you need to start to get yourself um, in a good position? So that's a good place to start with businesses. I think, you know, like you say, a lot of people hear cybersecurity and that just sounds... Um, very difficult, really complex, and something you're just never going to get on top of, and it's going to be really expensive as well. So I think for a lot of organisations, just um, take a step back and understand um, where you're at and what you actually need to do is a good place to start. For for small business, for for really small business, which you know, as you say, New Zealand is a country of small business. Um, there's even uh, a simpler place to start, and that's really just doing some good basic hygiene around um, your systems and, and how you work. So, you know, do you keep your software up to date? You know, do you patch regularly? Um, do you work with your staff a little bit so that they understand what things like phishing emails look like? Um, do you have a good ability to be able to back up and restore mm. your data? So just some really simple stuff that isn't expensive um, and, and most small companies could and should do um, already puts you ahead of the game. We talk yep. to so many organisations that can't recover, for example, from a ransomware attack because they don't um, back up their data properly and they've got no idea how to restore it after right. an attack and you know they end up in real strife. So where you see, and we see this a lot, where companies are shifting from um, managing infrastructure where they've got quite a high attack surface that they fully own, so yep. that they own from the network all the way through the firewalling into the infrastructure and, and everything. 
um, and now to taking an out basically a security outsource approach where they're consuming from the likes of Microsoft, AWS, and Google, and we find quite a lot of the time making assumptions that where the accountabilities lie. Yeah, um, it's all care and no accountability in some instances where just because you've outsourced an element doesn't mean you've outsourced, yeah. outsourced everything. Almost to the point where actually you need to have far more focus on things like security to know where basically who's holding the baby at any one point. Yeah, so, uh, you know, cloud is it's such a perfect example of this where um, there is this sort of set and forget idea. So uh, we've taken our data, we've put it in the cloud, and for a lot of people it's whatever that is. Yeah. Um, Amazon will deal with it. Microsoft yeah, yeah, will sort it yeah. out. Yeah. It's in that box. I don't yeah. have to think about it anymore. And um, so we have a lot of conversations with organisations around um, that, you know, that's really not the case. And um, certainly things like, uh, you know, who has access um, to documentation within the cloud. So who's getting access to your data? A lot of companies will, will set up, put their data in the cloud and then just allow um, too much access. Mm -hmm. So if you end up with a malicious user in your network or someone, um, you know, steals your staff passwords, which is often quite easy to do, um, and they legitimately gain access to, um, to your data in the cloud, well, you know, wh what can they get to? They can possibly get to everything. Um, those sorts of things, they're decisions people yep. don't take very seriously. So how does that align in, in your world mm -hmm. of the responsibilities of organizations to follow the principles of GCIO, the principles of NZISM? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying these words like the audience un understand them. Yep. Um, but ultimately that there is a, if, if you look historically, you would have aligned your support process to ITIL or you would have worked with a managed service provider that was ISO 27001 compliant. Yep. It feels like that whole motion is shifting now to being actually how do we streamline that, make it more efficient, more cost effective, knowing that the hyperscale cloud providers are adhering to hundreds of capabilities yeah. and hundreds of competencies, though there's almost getting to the point where there's too many and to know actually, well, hang on, how much accountability sits on the, the customer? Yeah, so I think there's um, certainly uh, those sort of massive methodologies like um, ISO 27001 and that which are, are great to follow but they're you know they're huge and for most mm. companies that's way too much to try and take on board um, so there's really good line um, guidelines out of um, organizations like CERT NZ and mm -hmm. um, they've got some really great simple to follow guidelines they're not massive they're not really cumbersome Australian Signals Directorate um, ASD they've got some really good ones to follow as well so you know look at like ASD essential eight so there's yep. eight things that you should do as a business, that's really, again, gonna put you ahead of the ahead of the curve. Right. So I think it's gotten to the point where, it, again, everyone's thought this is so complex, and like you said, it's just dark art, and cybersecurity just disappears into a box, and who knows where it goes. Actually, a lot of it is is fundamental, you know, yep. just sort that stuff out. There is the more complex work that you do in the stuff I mentioned earlier, where we um, sort of test applications and infrastructure in the same way a hacker would, and, mm -hmm. and that's a bit more of that dark art side of things because there's a there's a lot of skill involved yep. in doing that but there, there's a huge amount of basic stuff that if people yep. sort that out in the first place you know we're, we're not going to get very far through your system yeah, yeah I, I don't i don't think we're linking the two here i think yep. what i'm what, what i fundamentally believe is that there is more r d more security penetration and vulnerability <laughs> testing done with um, the hyperscale cloud providers than you could possibly do in your own data center Correct. i fundamentally believe that so it's yep. it, it's inherently designed for assumed breach and, and hardened by its nature, and that's what that's yep. what it is. Yep. I think what it does highlight, though, is as you move into a uh, move your infrastructure into a, a fabric of compute that is resilient and uh, secure by its nature, it actually exposes where the uh, the real vulnerabilities are within your as, business, and it's yep. within your it's your people, Absolutely. right? Your people and your processes. Yep. The technology bit is kind of then dealt with. Yeah, people and process. Um, out of those 
frameworks and essential eights and the way you where you started. What would, yeah. which one would you go to as a, as a first point if you're a, you're a small business? And I think you know, just to clarify, small business, you know, 100, 200, 300 people would still be in that kind of small business for this framework. Sure. Um, where do you, where do you go and start? Because obviously that that size organization, you probably not got a CDO or a CIO that's yeah. kind of focused specifically on security. Yeah. So um, you know, as I said before, understanding where your um, where your main gaps lie, but absolutely the the biggest attacks we see in New Zealand are through and on your people. So if you can educate your staff, if you can get your staff to understand um, what does a phishing email look like, how many attacks do we get on a regular basis. Um, what, if, what does a fraudulent invoice look like? Um, yeah. How do you process those? Um, you start with your people, you give them that information, you empower them to become um, uh, you know, a force within the business that that's can, right. that yeah, can like stop the, some of this The first level of firewall. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, then that makes a, that makes a huge um, difference. You, know, you, you look at the um, latest stats out of CERT and, and the vast majority of attacks in New Zealand of, of um, fraud uh, and and phishing emails. So th those are the main areas. What's and a good way to get that awareness into your business? So I mean, as a business owner, we say, okay, we've got ninety people. Yeah. Um, we we're pretty good on the on the awareness element, and we 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 we, uh, we do a pretty robust job because that's the service that we give to our clients. Yeah. But um, that's not something you can just learn and deliver to your company, right? You want to you want to, you need to bring professionals in to go. Yeah. Well, actually, how do you, you assess so, this stuff? So I think um, it's a it is slightly a multi pronged attack. So um, some kind of training. Um, so, for example, we um, have an e-learning course that we um, deliver to our customers, or we do face-to-face. -face. So, I deliver quite a bit of that face-to-face -face, um, training, and that's pretty good. But that, on its own, is not going to um, solve your problems. So, there's also um, constant awareness in your business. So, um, in your monthly newsletters, you might have a little section right. about the latest thing in cybersecurity. Um, we'd recommend running a couple of phishing attacks through the year that you run. Um, to raise staff awareness and go, you know, hey, how did everyone do? Um, did you pick up on it or not? And, and gives you a gauge of where your business is at. Um, and that, again, raises the awareness. You know, you can talk about how, how you did as a business and how you're improving. Yep. So it's just keeping it top of mind for people through through the year. And then you might train again, you know, 12 months later. So, so maybe once a year you're training. But yep. throughout the year, there's this constant low-level noise That's around right. security. So yep. people think about it all you the time. You've got people coming in and out of the business as well at the same That's time. That's right, you know, yeah. The, you know, like to go through a relevant amount of staff churn over 18, you know, 24 yeah. months of period. The other side we find as well is, you know, people, if you if you offer training on security and you go, this is all about the business and how the business functions, I mean, people will come and they'll listen. But the, the real advantage with security and, and the stuff you're doing at work, you know, it's very similar to the stuff you're doing at home. You mm. get emails at home, you're operating online at home, you might even get some invoices coming through at home. Um, so we've certainly found tying this into your personal life as well as your work life. Right. Um, people are far more interested because, hey, this actually affects me personally. Yep. Um, and if I'm doing it at home, I should be doing it at work well. yeah, well. I suppose, yeah. yeah. So personal vigilance and bringing yeah. it to the workplace is the opposite way around. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting approach. How does New Zealand fare in terms of um, the, and this may be just, a misnomer of I look at it in terms of okay we're in the middle of nowhere we're down at the bottom of the earth do we get the same level of attack as the rest of the world y does yeah so um, th there's still that perception that we're okay because we're New Zealand and we're and we're down here but we certainly find um, that we are attacked as much as other countries are sometimes the focus is a little bit different so a couple of years ago 
we were having a huge number of ransomware attacks in New Zealand. Uh, and the reason we believe that was happening is as you've stated, New Zealand is full of small business. So the attackers realized um, you run a ransomware attack, you charge a nominal amount to release your data, um, that people will pay that, and, and they were going for volume. So right. um, we were seeing sort of over 100 ransomware attacks a day, and charges were anything between $500 and $2,500 to unlock your files. So right. affordable for yeah, a small yeah, business. Yeah. So they realized they could make a lot of money out of that. And, and almost every small business I talk to has either seen or been a victim of a ransomware attack. Yeah. Um, is that generally the intent that you believe of ransomware attacks, that it is to generate revenue? Yes. As yeah. opposed to just cause havoc? Um, most of them are just to generate revenue. Um, some of the ones that we see that might be state-sponsored can sometimes be a little bit more around creating general yeah. havoc. Um, some of them are a diversionary tactic, actually. Um, so some of the stuff we see around industrial espionage and that. Yeah. So you can divert with a ransomware attack while you steal yep. a bunch of data out the other side. But really, the, the majority we see in New Zealand, they are after money. And I think this is something people also need to remember is when we think about cybercrime and hackers, um, you know, there's this sort of elite idea, but they are at the heart of it. They are criminals and they're mm -hmm. after money, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's their driver. They're trying to make as much money out of this as they can. And sort of one of the things we try and do is the harder we make it for them to do this stuff, the more time it takes them to execute an attack the more it costs them, and therefore it, it's not profitable to yeah. carry on doing yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, that's part of the aim as well. We make yeah. the cycle harder for them. They're less likely to carry yeah. the attacks out. So in, in, in your opinion, and I'm conscious that this might be your opinion and not the opinion of all, there must be a perceived fine line between um, the accountability that social media platforms have and the fact that they're inherently designed to do a job of broadcasting. Um, but then the malicious use of it, mm. of whether that's perceived as misuse or hacking. Mm. And when you look at the, the last four or five years of social misuse with fake news and elections and actually the, the, the underground uh, nature of where fake news is driven from, it's the same subculture that's driving security. Yeah. Do you find that coming into your world now of actually how do we, you know, how do we secure ourselves as a business on via social platforms yeah. to make sure that this same we don't have the same output because it is the same thing it's for political gain or for monetary gain yeah does that do you does that do you see that coming into your world more now with uh, the last three or four years oh, worth absolutely so um social media is a great tool so um we we do uh, what's called red teaming attacks so um that's essentially where a customer will give us a um you know one of the most important parts of the company from a data perspective and um, we're allowed to go after that mm -hmm. in whatever way we, we deem best. So it might be technical attacks, but it might be attacks on your staff or phone calls or whatever. And part of that information gathering, um, we go on social media and we look at sites like Facebook and we look at sites like um, LinkedIn. We find out who's in your business. We might try to link to some of your staff. Um, it gives us intelligence around how your business functions and who's there and what they're working on. Uh, and then we use that in, in the attack to gain access to, to premises and that. Um, and we see that as a technique that um, attackers use as well. So um, yeah, you know, social media is becoming a, a really good source of information um, mm. for these sorts of attacks. And, uh, and we really try and remind people to think very carefully about what they're putting up on social media, who might gain access to it, and, uh, and how those social media companies are treating their data as well. I mean, we've seen over the last few years there's been some fairly major leaks of data or information being misused in a way that people hadn't intended. Um, so what are you putting up online and what's the accountability of that company that's got your information? Yeah. So I, I, I find it fascinating that 
with the with the misuse of the social platforms, it's almost um, you've not needed to hack them. You just needed to use them in a malicious malicious way, yeah. and it's almost kind of security 101 it was designed for this but we're using it for something else yeah. and that's kind of i think where you look at the corporate social responsibility of the likes of facebook but then when you kind of bring that into where we've seen some of the huge security vulnerabilities you know the likes of intel um and you can actually have well the, the these chipsets are so ingrained in society now yeah. that one floor exposes the planet and yeah. it was it was exactly the case wasn't it right yeah you know those scenarios yeah, um, and then when you look at the hyperscale cloud providers as well, there's there is a movement towards okay, well, yes, everyone's going from on-premise and multiple pockets of attack service to, you know, three or four large attack services. Yeah, um, we get those, and yeah. there is a huge responsibility on those guys yeah. to make it make it right. And, and again, the um, the easiest way in is through manipulating people to give you the information yep. you're after. So, um, you know, your cloud providers can can have a really really secure platform. But if your staff are really using really rubbish, uh, using or, uh, yep. passwords, um, and attackers can get hold of those, then they're going to gain legitimate access to your to your database. So, yep. um, you know, we we do see that quite a bit. So um, there've been uh, recently a lot of people moving over to Office three six five, and so we've seen a huge number of three six five phishing emails with attackers um, emailing people. It looks like an Office 365 email. It, it looks genuine, and asking them to input their username and, and passwords, which they do. They harvest those in the background, uh, and then reuse them yep. to to um, get data out of your system. Are you seeing a um, a use of technology to combat the I guess the, the cycle of, of possible attacks? So what I mean by that is using AI to almost represent the human in a scenario and trying to leverage technology to speed up the cadence of which you can attack them. I imagine that that's something that's being heavily explored by yeah. the security industry. So we're starting to see um, the defenders looking at, well, how do we use AI um, to help us defend in a, in a better way? Um, of course, on the flip side, we have the attackers doing exactly the same. Mm -hmm. How do we use AI uh, in a way to allow us to attack more, attack more efficiently and, and get through systems yep. in, a, in a more efficient way? So the, the issue with um, from the technology side with attacks is it is a constant sort of warfare escalation yep, yep, yep. situation where you know we come up with something and they come up with something else and and so yep. we keep going um, year and year but I think we will see AI um, playing a much bigger role both in defense and attack yep. um, going forward um, we sort of thought that maybe 2019 might be the first year we see a proper AI executed attack. So still interested to see if that's, if that's gonna happen this year yeah, or not. Yeah. There's um, definitely lots of AI executed defense going on and that's ingrained correct. in some of Microsoft's core yep. technology. Um, yep. And we leverage it here for our clients and you know the ability to correlate that this person is in New Zealand but they've just logged into Office 365 from Germany. Yeah. Right? That's I mean, it's, right. it's yeah. such a simple <laughs> piece, but yeah. traditionally it would have taken a person to go and hang on a minute. Yeah. And, um, that, the evolving of that that's a very simple use case but the evolution of that just takes the human element yeah. out of it uh, it will happen yeah. at some point there will be an a, you know an AI underpinned underpinned attack yep um, what that looks like who knows really yeah. we're not you know not, not wait and see we'll wait. analyze it once it comes analyze out analyze it yeah. once <laughs> yeah, once and see what do you see as the biggest threat coming over the next next two to three years yeah. around where we need to where we need to be placing our investment yeah so it's really interesting um conference I was at overseas um, a few months ago, they asked exactly this question. So this is in the US and at a really high level. Um, 
and I was expecting, you know, yeah, AI stuff or maybe um, the rise of quantum computing and what that's going to mean for us. That's and fascinating. All this, you know, sort of really interesting yeah. high tech stuff. Uh, and actually the response um, from the panel was, um, can we get the basics right? Can we invest in our people and make sure they understand what's going on? Can we patch on a regular basis and make sure our systems are up to that? It was, it's, it's the basics, so we're still yep. not getting the basics right. right. So over the next three years, if organizations can really invest in that space, particularly in your people, and get that right, uh, again, it's gonna give us a really good foundation, foundation yeah. that we can start to build on then when this more intimidating stuff does hit the market. Yeah, I mean, the risk of quantum computing must be really in the back of a lot of people's minds because I mean I the way I read that is that the first person to maliciously crack access to quantum computing be, can decrypt 128 256 bit encryption yep. in seconds done so that's the whole world's security fabric Finished. undone yeah <laughs> that's that's the black and white view of how of where I see it yeah so um you know once quantum computing really comes into its own it's going to change the landscape of yep. how we how we work and 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 yeah it gives attackers some amazing tools that they've not had before and again it'll give defenders some fantastic tools we've not had before either so yep. the the escalation um continues but it's who gets there first because as you say once that's in place and um, the current encryption is not going to stand up to it yeah but, uh, but even you, you know leveraging the mass compute power that you can pull through you know blockchain networks and yep. stuff even isn't getting anywhere near what quantum can do no, correct can do yep. for us yep and uh yeah luckily right now you know the, the main developers of quantum are the government funded yes. so it could i mean we don't know what's happening in all of the, the government programs but majority it's on the ibm are relatively close microsoft are pretty close yeah um i don't i'm not sure what the um the outlook for the other hyperscale mm. providers are but mm. it'll be access to that that technology yeah um, we're probably a little bit further away than those guys make out yeah. but um quantum computing available to the masses five five year outlook yeah probably feel you know yeah uh, well, even to the masses, maybe to the uh, you know, to yeah. high-end budget holders. Yeah, you know. But like anything, the moment it hits the market, um, people will be taken apart to see how does it work and how do I yeah. do something more interesting with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So quantum computing. Yeah, that's a whole different. There's a whole different podcast. That's a whole to topic even just on its own. Even whole topic. <laughs> whole topic on its own. I mean, so the industry feels like it's going from strength to strength from a security perspective. Um, and it, or in my you know 15, 16 years in the industry, it's been one of those. Um, skill sets where it's continually risen at probably a quicker pace than the industry that you're in. Yeah. So IT and cloud technologies and the whole industry budget allocation has, has been going up. Security's always gone up a little bit, bit yeah. of a higher rate. Yeah. Um, what's the risks in terms of being able to get access to the right skills for a company? Yeah, so um, there is a real risk at the moment. There's a real um, lack of uh, skill in the market. There, there's um, It's very hard to get hold of people. Um, so, so specifically in New Zealand or global? uh, globally yeah. so um, uh, you know as I was saying earlier so we've currently uh, vacancies worldwide 1.5 million vacancies um, wow. for security roles um, about a million of those sit in the US and the rest spread across the rest of the world um, and we're looking at that numbers likely to double over the next five years so uh, on the plus side what they're showing is that organizations are becoming more and more aware of security and so the demands going up which is great but what we're finding is trying to um, supply into that market it takes quite a while to upskill someone sufficiently to be able to respond so um, what you know we're doing in particularly in the New Zealand market and, and there's a number of other um, security organizations involved in this discussion and, and being headed by the government is how do we um, bring people up to speed faster 
So, um, you know, there's the, the traditional model is that you go do a um, Bachelor of Computing Science degree, mm -hmm. maybe get a master's, then you come out to the market, then you spend the next few years learning about hacking and then you're ready to go. So that's like a six year cycle before you've got anyone. Um, are there faster ways to do it? So, for example, you know, we run internship programs. Um, people who show real aptitude in the industry, we'll bring them on board, we'll buddy them up with our staff, we'll give them real world experience. And, um, you know, they can, they can be up and running within a year if they've got enough mm -hmm. um, oomph to really get in and do it. So um, we have to find ways to, um, to bring people on and, and, and bring them on faster. Um, the security industry, probably like a lot of the IT industry, is also horribly male dominated. So, um, you know, we're losing out on a massive chunk of the potential population to mm -hmm. work in this industry for the fact that we're not um, uh, always encouraging women to get involved and get into the yeah. industry. So um, we're doing some work around that as well. How do we get more women interested in, in security and bring them on board? Because there is a perception that um, it's all about coding and, and mm -hmm. high-tech hacking, and it's, and it's really not. Um, there's a lot that can be done in the, in the policy and process space and the social engineering space. Um, and we do find you know, women are often better than guys in that space, um, but also just the way that women approach problem solving is very different to, to the way some of the, the rest of our team look at it. So um, it, uh, it, it creates a, a different uh, approach to how we deal with these problems. So you know, we're losing out on you know, a good chunk of the population by yep. not bringing women on board. And then um, talking to kids at school age, you know, before they go to uni, saying, hey, this is an option. This is something you can do with your career. You should really, you should really look at this. And um, there's some great money to be made. And it's, a, yeah. it's an ongoing um, career. So you should get into it. So encourage your kids if you've got kids. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't be a doctor or a lawyer. Be no, a hacker. Right. Yeah. Be a hacker, yeah. <laughs> so do you find that it's a cultural, um, there's a cultural element to realizing the accountability to be secure? Um, and by that, what I mean is, um, I mean, I'm, well, my first experience of computing was an Amiga 200 or something like that, pre-internet, Yeah. you know, um, three and a half inch floppy disks, and I had my first PC, it was, you know, AOL, broadband, and it was like the dawn of time, you know, that was yeah. like 1994, something like that, when I first got my first internet connection, epic, but you were, it, it was just the fact that it was technology that came consumerized, and you're always very much aware that it was you were mastering a bit of a technology, yeah, right, and therefore it was inherently you inherently had to be secure with it. Everyone was obsessed with passwords, and someone you know breaching your internet connection and always shutting your emails down. It was just that's what it was because it was now the youth are growing up, the millennials are coming into the the workforce, and they've not had that same experience of the born of the internet. Yeah, there it's, it's now just part of life. Yeah, and therefore you know giving out your Instagram password and just and being connected constantly and not necessarily thinking it's that important yeah. to protect your own your own identity and, and, and it is how does that transpose in the workplace because I mean I imagine that Wayfield if we, we, we're bringing on engineers all of the time and the the younger engineers are coming through now obviously we've got a robust onboarding process and it's a, a secure way to keep everybody um, everyone's attack profile at its minimum yeah but the attitude between us very very senior engineers who are you know 45, 50, 55 years old versus the early 30s is very, very different. Yeah. Um, how do you see that playing out in the next 15 years of world workforce where we're trying to encourage staff to do the right thing, but it's not in their cultural DNA? Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it's a, a something we're going to have to play with for, for a while. And, and you know, more so I look at my kids who are um, you know, coming into their early teens and 
you know, being online and this is just part of life, you mm. know, networking and working on documents together and Skyping, and, you know, it's just, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Um, and so with that sort of that um, sense of fear mm. <laughs> that we had growing up, that's disappeared and, uh, and they're not as concerned around their privacy. So that's the big thing we see is this sort of obsession we have a bit around security and privacy is very much lacking yep. um, uh, in that generation. So I think uh, what we'll see is that will change um, as there's more exposure to the workforce and um, they start to, uh, the younger generation starts to have things that they really care about um, that, you know, could be corrupted online. Right. They're going to realise, hey, actually, maybe, you know, that, that isn't a good idea. But I think um, there is a, a shift in, in mindset um, and I think that's going to have to be driven by the workplace and we're going to have to find ways that make sense to um, to the new generation of workforce coming through so yep. why should i care about passwords you know what what does that mean for me um i think we see a lot of people going uh, yeah that that's sort of that with them you know what's in it for me yeah, why should yeah, i spend time right. yeah. coming up with new passwords and that you know does this make sense um and it's kind of different for for me with my workspace because all of my guys are sort of wet mm. to four hats and are yeah, a little bit right. crazy about security. They're very interested in it. Yeah. Um, and they spend a lot of time thinking about it. But I think in, in general workspace, um, people understanding um, what leaving their accounts exposed means for them and for the business, mm. um, the interaction between home computers and work networks yep. and the danger of sort of crossover of um, uh, data. You know, you pick up a malicious file on your home computer, yep. you chuck it on your work network. Yeah, you yeah. Know, what does that mean? Why should you care? So I think there's an education piece. Um, to be honest, I'd like to see that done again, done to happen at school level. Right. You know, kids when they start using computers at school, that's when they should be taught. You know, like you said, when we were young and used our first computers, it was um, this exploration and this real sense of security around that. And and I get the sense that you know, kids these days when they're encountering and doing a lot of their work on computers at school that's not necessarily part of the curriculum no. is how do you remain no. secure and while and you're online. And it must be um, linked to actual the, the cultural philosophy, philosophy of the country that you're in as well. I mean, so, you know, I'm um, not quite lost my British accent yet, but my fundamental approach to my own personal home security is very different here than what it was when I lived in London. Yeah, sure. Just, uh, there's no way I would leave yeah. my car unlocked. There's no way I wouldn't triple bolt the doors. No. I mean, lucky if I lock my lamp. I live up on the coast, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not quite central Auckland, but... You look, you know, forget to lock my doors. Yeah. Just I mean, you know, no one knows my address, so you can't rob <laughs> my house. Say, but what's your, your address? <laughs> but you know, the point being, it's it's definitely different based on the scenario. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And um, I was really fortunate a few years ago to go to a um, government league conference in Israel and um, spend a week over there and looking at their cybersecurity work that they do, which is is pretty phenomenal. But part of the reason why it's so phenomenal is the environment that they live in. So it's a an environment mm. where security is top of mind all the time yeah. and Some really good startups or uh, that have not startups mm -hmm. anymore from big yeah big firewall companies come the, out of there their cyber security yeah. um ethos within the country is incredible um yeah that there, there are a huge number of companies doing that it, it makes up a chunk of their gdp uh, around security and and you just find that everywhere you go and the people you talk to it's just inherent in how they operate mm. is, is security as part of their language. Now, in New Zealand, security is not part of our language. Like you say, I, I also I live yeah. an, hour, an hour out of Wellington, yeah. um, pretty rural, um, you know, doors aren't always locked and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So um, that's how we live our lives. And we're very trusting. So we find with um, physical attacks that we work on, 
and people will let you into their office. You know, we'll, right, we'll, yeah. we'll tailgate people into their building uh, and then go sit at someone's desk on the floor and go work yep. for a couple of hours and people won't question no. who you are and what you're doing there because yep. we assume that people are good and they're doing the right thing. Yep. And so that's Which is our nice, mindset. It's right. lovely. It's, it's that's why we yeah, live yeah, here, that's right, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it does mean that um, we're a little bit naive with some of it and it means that once we're online and we're connected to the rest of the world, we don't have that protection yep. of, hey, I'm down here and no one's going to try and do something dodgy. And that's why we were last year um, had the um, unfortunate honour of being the most um, hit country from a fraud perspective. Yeah, because we're, we're naive. Because we're naive and we just <laughs> yeah. think people are, are being yeah. nice. And, oh, yes, Microsoft does want to fix my computer. Oh, Maybe I should get them yeah, access yeah, that's right. to my files. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. And... Um, yeah, both a blessing and a curse yeah. at, at, at the same time. It but is. it's important to recognise what actually we're trying to protect as well with our, you know, with our data. I think it's very easy for us to talk around security, passwords, but but the why and uh, the biggest thing for me as a you know as a as a business owner is that we spend you know millions of dollars a year on creating intellectual property. Yeah, that's what we create, and actually all we're trying to do is protect that intellectual property. Correct. Yeah, and that's the bit of actual value to us. Yep. And that's why you know you would you invest in security, right? Because that IP. Yeah. Is, is important. I'm not too sure all companies see the value of their intellectual property yeah. occasionally, specifically at small business level, because where does the value sit yeah. inside your organization? Um, but again, I think that flip to saying to people, this is important for us as a business, but the behavior should be important to you in your personal life as well. Yeah. So if you looked at, like I did some talks after the Cambridge Analytica scandal happened, and talking particularly to younger groups of people and explaining you know, the amount of data that's sitting there in their Facebook account and, and what was taken and how that was used. Mm. And, um, and people were genuinely shocked. Um, they didn't realize how much of their data was being gathered. They, they didn't realize how much they were exposed. They hadn't thought about you know, how secure their password was because, oh, it's just my Facebook account, so yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not that fast. So saying to people, well, you know, the data we hold and the data you hold, that you know, yeah. it's as valuable to us as that is to you. So change your behaviors at home. You know, look after your stuff properly, have some good passwords and that. And they'll, you'll bring that behavior into the workplace. So yeah. is that education piece? Yeah. There is an element here, though, of the social responsibility of those platforms that people are signing up to because absolutely I, I, it, yeah. it's frustrating okay firstly so does everyone read the terms and conditions i i would say that i do but i right times out of 10 will gloss over the terms and conditions and don't read them that said for anybody to have access to the same social firepower be connected to a community speak to your friends and whatever you have to accept the terms and conditions yeah so that they're ridiculous terms and conditions really you're basically handing over your identity and personal profile yeah to be part of a social group now, you know when these when when people are signing up to these so services, they're fourteen, fifteen years old. Really, yeah, what's more important? Yeah, you know, what's right. more important? Actually, I want to be able to talk to my friends talk online and yeah. post pictures of what I'm doing. Hundred percent. You know, it's borderline irresponsible from a platform perspective to just go. Just I, I can just clickbait these guys to get them on, online. Yeah. You know, and then have their ability to yeah. for even Cambridge Analytica to do what they did. Yeah. You know, but I think that's where we're seeing. Um, finally, legislation is slowly starting to catch up with us, right? So we've had um, GDPR come through mm -hmm. last year, and we've had um, data breach notification legislation in Australia. Yep. The New Zealand Privacy Bill, um, that's going to change March next year, it's looking like. Um, these companies um, that are holding our data, anyone who's holding our data, um, is actually going to be required to front up if they're not looking after Absolutely, it properly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. I think that's a really, really positive change. I think these companies are, are um, being forced to be more responsible about what they're doing with our data. And it's going to be a real change for these businesses uh, in how they operate. Yeah. 
so on that scale of um, accountability for the the platforms we take that into the physical world with the relationship the world seems to have with Huawei yeah at, at the minute what's your take on um, that actually being an issue a threat or or something that's been blown out of proportion um yeah it's a, a that's a hard it's a hard one I think um yeah I think the you know we've got obviously GCSB is looking at it. Yep. You've had um, um, GCHQ in the UK looking at it as well. Um, I think trying to understand, you know, how you're using the system and, and what you're potentially exposing yourself to. Um, but it should be the same thought you have when you use any other um, supplier as well. You know, is there an opportunity for the suppliers to do something in the way they build this particular tool that you're going to mm. use that they could gain access to your information without without you being aware so um i think what's really good is that governments are doing their due diligence on someone that's offering them a, a service rather than saying well you know it comes it comes out of the u.s so we'll we'll trust it's it, it. Yeah, and it comes yeah, out of china yeah. so we won't well actually any service you use you should be going well um let's see how you put this together and can we have a good look through it and, and yep. can i trust what you're putting in in front of me um and and if you pass the test then yep. okay i mean obviously there's there's political sure. stuff to think about as well. But yeah. I think from a technical perspective, make sure what you're buying is actually what you think you're getting. Yeah, yeah. That it's, it's, yeah. it's an amazing uh, story on, th on that side of the fence in terms of, yes, you trust one supplier over another, when ultimately they've both got the same capability to sniffing, yep. to, you know, to sniff through. Yep. But then when you look at the other side of the spectrum where um, there is inherently secure platforms that the, the government agencies want to get access to. So yeah. when I remember there was a, a case last year, maybe the year before, where the US government wanted Apple to unlock someone's iPhone. Correct. Yeah. Um, and they refused. They said, we're just absolutely not going to do that. Yeah. I, that's, that's a great example of, look, it's, no, no, this is, regardless of what this person may or may have not done, yeah. it's their information. It's, and it's, we, we won't, we won't unlock it. We won't give you the master key. Yeah. Because once the key's out, it's out. It's out, yeah. you know. Uh, what's your what's your take on? Yeah, take on that? I mean that's um that's quite interesting, and we've had a lot of debate in in the office around this because um, I don't know if you're aware of the legislation changes in Australia that um, came through last year, I think, mm -hmm. which is around the Australian government's ability to uh, essentially compel companies to put a backdoor in their software if right. um, the Australian government wants them to. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, you know. F f purely from a security perspective, the moment you do that, you've, you've now created a product that's inherently weak. Yep. The moment you put a backdoor into uh, um, a product, whether you're thinking, well, only you, you will use that or, or not, someone will find it. You've created a weakness in the system and you can, you can find a way in. So I think um, uh, you know, trying to um, compel companies to um, do things like that and, and release information, I think is, is quite dangerous and, and starts to make the products Weak, yeah. Basically, we, you know, and, and it, it gives the um, attackers more room um, to get in and, and get to your information. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's. Um, I think it's fair to say it's a fascinating world that we're living in today. But then again, if I was looking at the world five years ago, it was as fascinating then. Absolutely. And it was fascinating as five years before. It's, so. con it's constantly changing. So, um, you know, we, we like we give our guys a, a chunk of their time. So they get twenty percent of their time to do research mm -hmm. work because. You have to, it's yeah. the only way we can keep up. Yep. Um, it, it's changing yep. so much. Um, you know, the, the constant conversations within the community and 
um, keeping up to up to date with it, it's it's the only way to do it. Yeah, no, like, uh, in five years, oh, we, if we sat down in five quantum. years, we'll be talking <laughs> yeah. about some very different Th- stuff that's, that's right. going on in the market yeah. here. So for anyone that's listening that um, wants to find out more about Aura and the work that you guys do, where's best to where's best to send them? Uh, so our website, so yep. um, AuraInfosec.com. Yep. Um, you can have a look at our, our site and see where we get up to. Yeah, okay. um, yeah and uh, and if there's anyone out there who's interested in getting into the security game, um, we love talking to people who want to yeah. get in and um, and uh, give them some encouragement to um, become a security consultant. Yeah, yeah no, abs- <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, Peter, we could talk for probably the next two or three three hours, and I'm sure that no one listening wants to talk here and rabble on for two or three hours, but thank you very much for your time awesome. coming to see us today. Um, there's loads of topics we'd want to talk to you about in the future, and as they come up, we'd love to have you back. Yeah, more than love happy. To have you back. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for your time, and uh, speak to you soon. Great. Cheers. Thank you.